Welcome to Beneath the Wing. Just like air passing over the wing of an aircraft provides lift, the people we meet can also give us lift in life by sharing their stories of strength and success, connecting us all. Beneath the Wing explores the stories of those connected with the Minnesota Air National Guard's 133rd Airlift Wing with a little humor and learning along the way. I'm your host, Wing Command Chief Mark Legfold. Joining me today on Beneath the Wing is Master Sergeant Brian Shuey. Brian's part of our Contingency Response Force, which we'll have him explain here in just a little bit, but another big part of his life is that he is a professional bull rider. Brian came to us in 2014 after graduating from Pine City. Welcome, Brian. Thanks, Chief. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's a, it's a privilege. So what the heck is the Contingency Response Force? Consistency response, so pretty much we're based of many AFSCs and we can go in and uh, take control of an airfield um, so then we can get planes in and out. Um, the best description I usually tell people is like hurricane relief. Um, say an airship gets uh, ransacked, we would be able to go in, uh, take uh, command and control, get planes in and out for that humanitarian mission. So you can control aircraft, clean up an airfield, get it ready for planes, and basically work with only military aircraft? Uh, both military and civilian. Okay. Um, and then also on the military side, we're able to uh, do our own security of that airfield. So we get a little bit more training that way. So when you talk about AFSC, that's an Air Force Specialty Code. We, we use AFSC. Most people out in the regular world would basically say, we have a lot of people with a lot of different jobs, right? Right, correct. How many jobs are a part of the uh, contingency response force? I believe there was 14 currently. Um, we are expanding, so we're double, doubling in size. All right. Um, still looking for a couple spots, um, traditional-wise. Traditional so a very exciting time. Yeah, you're, you're in this period of growth, which is absolutely fantastic. And if it sounds a little echoey today, it's because we're we're interviewing in the hangar, which they're converting into their center of operations? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, it gets used as a, it's called the hangar or it's called the warehouse. <laughs> and there's one other name for this building now that you guys have called it. What's that? Um, Asgard? Asgard. Asgard. Why did you choose this Scandinavian name for your center of operations? Um, it was kind of a team boat. Uh, we wanted a try to figure out what we wanted to name equipment. Say like we have a Polaris Razor as one of our equipment. And then uh, we saw another unit with snowmobiles and they had a name for each each one. So we thought that was a good idea. So that's uh, our home base here is Asgard now. So you've got snowmobiles as a part of your equipment package. Uh, in the future, okay. we'll see. Cause we're, we're kind of focusing on the Arctic, Arctic mission. Yeah, so, so uh, tell me about that. We don't really think about airfields as Arctic operational environments. It's, it's tough to work in the extreme colds, but you're specializing in that? Yeah, so we've been working with the 109th uh, out of New York, and they have ski birds, um, the uh, C-130 with skis on them. And so a couple of have gone to Greenland and then northern Canada and helped them build a ski landing area. Um, utilizing like two snowmobiles with groomers behind them. And uh, that's pretty fun to uh, see a C-130 land on the ice because they need 
at least 55 inches of ice and at least six inches of snow. So that, that was pretty fun. Cold, but fun. I'm, I'm familiar enough with the 109th, and that's a New York National Guard, and they specialize in landing C-130s on ice, specifically the South Pole, correct? They do both. Their okay. main missions are Greenland and then also Antarctica. I believe they go there most every year to Antarctica. It's part of the resupply mission for the National Science uh, Association, I believe is what it is. Correct. Oh, fun, fun job. Why is operating in the Arctic important for the overall mission that the United States Air Force does? Because we don't really own a whole lot of Arctic ground except for Alaska, right? Right. So there's a lot of uh, focus on the Arctic right now. Um, a little bit of the melting is opening up trade routes. Um, and then say like Russia land has 50% of coastal land budding up to the Arctic. So that's definitely uh, a concern for the future. And China has a lot of interests in the Arctic as well, not only economically, but also just being a worldwide power. Um, so it's fun. We've been training with some Canadian Air Force and uh, Army units, and uh, it's a it's a blast. It's interesting to be a part of um, with the increased focus up there. Right. I got a chance to spend a little bit of winter training with you guys this past winter and spent the night in a tent without a heater, and it was really really cold. Minnesota gets cold. It was really really cold there, um, but you know you have the right equipment to manage that. Right. Yeah. Um, so your first job in the Air Force, we talked about AFSCs, your first job was in uh, aerospace ground equipment. Correct. What does that job do? Um, pretty much maintains all the support equipment. Um, the best way I describe it to civilians, I should say, is um, all the equipment that an aged mechanic works on, aerospace ground equipment, is uh, they use that equipment to test an aircraft to see if it's worthy to fly. Mm -hmm. um, so that can be any f anything from non-powered, like a maintenance stand, to a diesel generator, um, hydraulic systems, and even air conditioning and heating as well. So it's a big variety uh, of equipment. So would you be a part of a team that opens up an airfield so that you can do that work on aircraft, or would you be a leverage your expertise on all the equipment that you are supposed to maintain? Uh, mostly all the equipment that I maintain. Mm -hmm. um, so it gives you a wide knowledge of even for trailers and you pick up a lot on gas engines as well. So it's a, you, it's a good job to utilize Absolutely. In, a, in a small team for sure. You, you are somebody that works with his hands primarily. I, I know that she used to do concrete finishing, you farm on the side. Right. Uh, you do a lot of work with your hands. Is that your comfort zone? Yeah, I definitely like to uh, tinker with things. Uh, turn a wrench, I would say, versus uh, I'm not very good at computer type stuff and I get, I get annoyed if I'm in the office for too long. I think we all kind of suffer from that for sure. Right. So, Working with your hands, that kind of brings us to your favorite pastime. And I'd, I'm interested in how in the world you got into the world of bull riding. It's not a big Minnesota pastime. And you grew up in Pine City, Minnesota, not the mecca of all things rodeo. But tell us how you got engaged in this. 
Well, shoot. I mean, uh, back in 2017, we deployed um, over to Kuwait, and I was seeing all these young kids winning hundreds of thousands of dollars riding bulls, and they were just having fun. So I was like, man, all these young kids are having fun. I feel like I've been just working my whole uh, whole life. So I was like, I want to go have fun. Um, so I started training while we were over there, and uh, when we got back, I actually got on a bull for the first time at a local rodeo and instantly fell in love with it. Uh, just got right into my blood. And uh, that next spring, went to two different schools, learned a little bit more, and here going on six years riding now. Um, been fairly successful and uh, loving every minute of it. Yeah, so you mentioned that you were on a deployment and you decided to start training to be a bull rider. How in the, I, I get it, lift weights, go for a run, do some push-ups and sit-ups and you know feel sore the next day or the next week if you're old like me. What do you do to train to get ready to be a bull rider? Um, definitely like the gym aspect, uh, trying to stay lean, but then uh, focusing on the muscles that you would use, mostly your legs um, in bull riding. Otherwise, 90% of bull riding, which I've learned, is mental. So every day I would watch hundreds of videos, seeing like what guys are doing. Oh, they made a mistake there. And if you just keep repeating that, like, oh, the bull's gonna do this. If you have to think about it when you're on a bull, it's, you're too slow. So everything's reaction, muscle memory. And what's the goal of a good ride? Uh, eight seconds, so you gotta get eight seconds to get a score possibility of 100 points per ride. Um, your goal is 90 or above. You for, want points. For, for points. Not seconds. No, not 90 <laughs> seconds, no. When, when you're on a bull, I, okay, so if everybody stays on the bull for eight seconds, does everybody win or do you get style points too? No, well, you can't, it's a judge sport. So up to 50 points is for the rider's performance and then up to 50 points for the bull's performance. Um, so most events will pay out the money added to the top four or top six riders. Okay. Um, some bigger events, maybe more up to the top 10 spots, but each circuit that you're running, you're gaining points or money earned for the season, uh, to qualify for their finals. So usually their finals has a lot more added money to add it. Sure. To be able to be one. So the goal is to be a good earning bull rider right and in order to do that you get so that you said they judge the rider and they judge the, the bull correct how do, what makes a what makes the bull get a higher <clears throat> score or a lower score can you explain that to me first right so uh the bull would be judged on overall intensity uh difficulty to ride um direction change and then how much it jumps in the front and how much it kicks in the back. Okay. So being a judge sport, every judge has a different preference on those five categories. Um, so that can be the difference between a couple points, which is the difference between first place or yeah. fourth place. And then as a rider, you obviously are hoping that you get, as a non-rider, I would hope I would get the most docile, kind, gentle, Ferdinand the Bull kind of thing. But you're looking for that hard, hard bull to ride. Right. 
you want you want a bowl that you can ride for that eight seconds without touching with your free hand that's in the air. Yeah. Um, but you want it to score high enough where you're going to win money. There's been events where I rode my bowl for 84 points, which is a decent score. Yeah. Um, but I didn't win anything. I didn't even make the, the championship round because there was 10 other guys that scored 85 to 89 points yeah. in that long round. You call the first round the long round. What makes a rider get points? You, you said you can't touch the bull with your free hand. I, I've seen it before. You got your, you're waving to the crowd with one hand while you're hanging on mm -hmm. for dear life with the other. But what else would give a ride? What, what makes a good ride? Mostly your control. Okay. Um, because you can you can hang off the side, <clears throat> not touch the ground or not touch the bull with your free hand, and you hit that eight seconds. That's a qualified ride by the rule book, but you're out of control. Um, but if you're matching the bull every move, or even if you start spurring a little bit, which is more prevalent in the bronc riding, they have to use their spurs a lot more. Um, but if you throw your leg out a couple of times, the judge is like, oh, he's got it under control. He's doing good. Um, and some smaller riders, they can really flash up a bull ride. They, uh, they look like, oh, they're going to get bucked off. But then, oh, they're right there. And they just keep doing it. And it, the crowd goes wild. And the judge gives them a higher score. Nice. So you're, if your whole body leaves, leaves the animal for a little while, and then you get back on and you're under control, better points for you, right? Right. That's where the leg strength, I suppose, comes in. Mm -hmm. awesome. Or if you're waving to the crowd while you're doing it. Right. Throw your hat around a little bit. You can do that. Yeah. If you're on a bull and it's bucking, you can just grab your hat and wave it around, put it back on. Some judges might disqualify you because they're like, oh, you're holding on with your free hand. <laughs> but it's all fun. So what makes a good bull, horns or no horns? Ooh, I like one with horns. Why? Um. I don't know, it's just, they're more Western looking. Um, and I just usually buck off of muleys, the ones with no horns. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Um, usually on the circuits, if you see a, a muley bull, they're pretty good. Cause everybody likes a Western looking bull with horns. Ugh, scary enough. So you, you mentioned you went to schools specifically made for bull riding. Right. Where are those schools located and what is that experience like? And the big question, did your GI Bill cover it and do you get college credit? Oh, no, it didn't. I didn't even think about that. Um, well, yeah, so most there's a lot of rodeo schools that former competitors will put on. Um, the first one I went to was out in South Dakota. The next one was in Colorado. And then I just went to another one to keep training, <clears throat> learning more from world champions. And that one was in uh, Illinois. So yeah, I go there, pick up guys have been, you know, they've had a 20 year career, um, pick up what they've learned so you don't make the same mistakes and keep improving that way. Yeah. What's the, what's the most recent thing that you've learned in that school that's made you a better bull rider? Um, the one I'm focusing on right now is really just dominating the front shoulders. <clears throat> if you get behind the front shoulders toward the back, it's the rumble seat. You catch all the momentum. Um, 
but if you stay up over them, it just takes the power away. And it's, it, you, we call it getting tapped off on one. It's like whatever the bull does, you can't get bucked off. And there's, it's just so easy. And that's the coolest feeling ever to have all that adrenaline and just, he can't buck me off today. And then you pick your spot and you jump off and don't get hurt. So when you're going through the school, how many rides do you do in a week? Uh, during the school? Yeah. Um, so those ones were three-day schools. Um, the first one I got on 13 bulls for those three days. And the next one I got on eight bulls. And then this past one, it was pretty full of uh, younger riders. So there was only like four bulls for that whole weekend. There's just so many guys getting on. Sure. Ran out of time. The bulls get tired? They do once in a while, but usually they'll only buck them once or twice per day. So take us through this experience. I'm, I'm <clears throat> picturing you sitting on this wild animal and you're surrounded by all this iron or the steel gates and the gates ready to open and you give your, your little nod of the head, ready to go. What's going through your mind in that moment? Everything's focused or you try and daydream a little bit and take away from this? <laughs> right, so I've kind of learned to, uh, to try not to think. <clears throat> Just react. You know, have fun with your buddies. Um, I try to, during the week, I try to think, think about bull riding, training, but then when I'm actually competing at event, I already put in the work, just, just go have fun. And uh, usually you do better that way. Um, Cause if you're thinking on one thing, like, oh, I gotta lift on my rope more, then during that ride, that's all you're doing, but then you make another mistake. So if you just stay, stay calm and collective and just nod your head and go give it your all. And off you go. And what does your body feel like after the ride is all done? Well, if you if you hit that eight seconds and you know you're in the pay window, um, getting stomped doesn't hurt so bad. <laughs> but getting out of the car after an eight-hour drive home does, that's for sure. So let, we're going to do this little experiment here because, you know, normally people, the three people that listen to our podcast, just kidding, uh, I'm gonna to count to eight. We're just gonna sit here for eight seconds. And we're gonna pretend I'm punching you in the gut for that whole time. You ready? Ready. All right, here we go. That seems like a long time. It is. If I was getting punched in the gut, I'd be running away by now. <laughs> do you have an internal clock in your head when you're on a ride or do you just pray for that horn to go off? No, I definitely have developed an internal clock, um, <clears throat> which is good and bad. I've seen a couple guys, they'll reach down to pull their, the tail of their rope out of their hand, and so then they get disqualified at 7.9 seconds. Oh, my. And they made a great ride. Um, I've seen it at local rodeos, and I've seen it on TV of uh, world champions doing that. Um, but, yeah, you definitely get a feel for what the bull's doing, Kind of where their feet are going to come if they're if you're falling off and then just the overall clock you um you know are you planning on continuing with the bull riding how much traveling are you doing now and are, you think you're going to pick it up because you're balancing brian this great military career you're working out here full-time at the base and you're getting ready for this big arctic mission but on top of that this is like the hobby that you do on weekends how are you balancing all of this and who do you have to support you in this journey? 
Um, the whole team here at CR <clears throat> really supports uh, my bow riding career, which is great because uh, that'd be tough to not have that support, you know. Otherwise, my family, they're very supportive of it. Um, you know, I think every mom of a rodeo athlete is kind of nervous. They like to go watch, but every time they get pretty nervous. Um, but yeah, as far as balance, I mean, this year, I think I'm going to focus on one circuit for the most part. Um, because in years past, I've run three or four different circuits just to try to <clears throat> hit their finals. Um, but yeah, it is a balance. Sometimes it gets stressful trying to b balance a couple careers at once um, on top of doing concrete once in a while and helping out with farming, especially in the fall harvest time. But uh, you kind of just reset, refocus, and if you're having trouble, you tie a knot in your rope and hang on. That's a, that's a great way of putting that. I was going to ask you, you know, what learning from bull riding that you can apply to regular life and I mean, you've got this great toolkit of advice that you can give other people, but at the same time, uh, you come across situations where you just have to tie the rope and hang on. Um, what have you learned about yourself going through this journey of a, of a bull rider? Ooh, what have I learned? Hmm. Kind of really, uh, if you have a goal, no matter how old you are, and you pursue it, you can do it. Um, like in this bull riding topic, I didn't get on my first bull till I was 27 years old. Most of the guys I'm competing with are anywhere from 18 to 24 years old in their prime, which most guys, um, from, from what I've seen, usually retire from bull riding by the time they're 28, 30. So now I'm 32 and just getting started, I feel like. Some days I feel 18, but then other days I, I feel like pretty beat up. Then, then all you have to do is uh, run off and, and take an ice bath and you'll be all set to go. Right? Yep. Keeping the body healthy is number one there. Absolutely. Good advice. Glad you've learned a little bit more rather than just good leg strength and a, and a tight grip or the keys to success. I've been talking with Master Sergeant Brian Shuey. He is a part of our contingency response force here at the 133rd. We're going to take a quick break, hear from our recruiters, and we will be right back. Please stick around. Hi, everybody. And once again, this is not beneath the wing, but it is our commercial in the middle of it. Joining me today is Tech Sergeant Mary Quattlebaum. She is joining our world-class recruiting team. Mary, welcome to the commercial. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Tell us what the Guard has to offer these days. Well, the Guard has so much to offer, uh, along with the great benefits such as education and health insurance. Um, it also offers you an opportunity to learn a new skill, a new trade, and be part of the Air National Guard family and a bigger purpose. Awesome. What are some of the jobs that are open right now? Well, currently open and available uh, right now, we have some jobs in the maintenance squadron, such as non-destructive inspection and aircraft structural maintenance. Also in the civil engineer squadron, such as HVAC and engineering and security forces, such as combat arms 
and plenty more. Awesome. Sounds like a great place to join with awesome healthcare benefits, great college benefits, and of course the fun family atmosphere that we have in the Guard. How can people get a hold of you so they can become a part of our family? Yes, I would love to talk to you and answer any of your questions uh, and tell you about all the opportunities we have and the process of joining. My number is 612-240-8335. Again, that's 612-240-8335. Thanks, Mary. It's great to have you as a part of the 133rd Airlift Wing, and I hope tons of people call. Thank you. Thanks for sticking around. I'm Continuing my conversation with Brian Shuey of our Contingency Response Force, uh, Brian was talking to us about his bull riding career and then a lot about his Air Force career. Kind of finding the balance on that. That's the struggle, isn't it? Right. You Definitely. do a lot of other things on the side, too, and one of the things I learned about you is you farm on top of all of that. What's, what's the farm like? What do you guys do? Yeah, so I'm actually a fifth-generation farmer from Pine City. Um, I have three older brothers and one younger sister. Um, currently, one of my brothers is taking over the farm with my dad. Uh, my grandpa recently passed this last fall, so he's no longer there, but I learned so much from him over the years. I mean, he was, he was born there, and he actually died there on the farm. So that was a pretty cool experience to grow up with him there every day. But when I was growing up, we milked cows so we did dairy, but then we also did uh, crops, corn, and soybeans. Um, currently, we switched over to beef, black Angus, and we still crop farm about 800 or so acres. It always changes with rental land and, yep. and whatnot. But corn and soybeans. Corn and soybeans, and then about 100 cow-calf pairs. Right. And, we, and my brother's been feeding them out, so feeding them out and selling them for, for meat. And um, so working on the farm on top of here, do you live close by to the farm? Pine City is a ways away, isn't it? It is. It's about hour 15, hour and a half from here. Um, but yeah, I actually live in my great grandma's house, which is attached to the farm. And all the wood that it was that was used to build it what came from the farm. Really? So it's pretty pretty cool to live there. So those generational roots in agriculture, that's kind of that... You know, the family farm, people talk a lot about the family farm. And I mean, you guys are a pretty big operation and it's still a family. Um, how, growing up with that and your grandpa being such an influence on your life, you know, what, working on the farm, what did that teach you to, uh, what lessons did you learn from that experience? Um, mostly hard work. Um, you just had to do it. I mean, it didn't matter if it was, uh, if you had to go to school or you had sports, uh, the cows still had to be milked twice a day. And then come harvest season or even planting season, you're working around the weather. So if you got a good stretch of weather, it's, it doesn't matter if you're only gonna work eight hours, you gotta get it in. You gotta maybe go 20 hours. Um, and that's where it helps to have more siblings to help spread it out for sure <laughs> take shifts but uh it sounds like a lot of work it is is it fun it's fun what's Definitely. fun about farming everything i mean you're out in nature um you know you're not stuck in an office 
Um, you learn how to fix things. Uh, you don't always have time to bring a piece of equipment into a dealership. Uh, you need it fixed right there. Um, there's different ways of doing that. You can be inventive on how to how to get it done. There's nothing better than a farmyard mechanic, right? Right. Yeah. Um, so so yeah. here's here's the challenging thing. Having grown up on a farm myself, I struggled with this because at some point you and I ran away and joined the Air Force. Right. And. There is no disagreement with the Second Amendment and the military. We are very well regulated. We are a well regulated militia. There is a specific way to fix a specific piece of equipment with mm -hmm. a specific tool, and it must be done that way. And we're used to that farmyard mechanic thing. Did you struggle with that? You went into aerospace ground equipment. Mm -hmm. Your job is to fix stuff. Did you struggle with that? I did. There is, there is a lot of situations where I was like, well, I know how to get that done. It'll work. Just why can't I just do that? But yeah, there's definitely a structure and checklist, which is good. But uh, yeah, I struggle with that with my upbringing. Yep, I totally understand. It there is the way to get things done, and then there's the by the book way. Mm -hmm. We're, we're kind of tied to that. There's a reason, right? Right. Yeah. Work, what works and what's tried and true with the people's equipment, the people's money, you're going to have to follow those rules. Mm -hmm. And when it's your piece of equipment, you can fix it the way you need to. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, uh, green or red? Oh, we were mostly blue. Blue, New right. Holland guy. New Holland, but our combine was always green. All right. And now, but now we have a red Case IH quad track. Oh, man. So we're kind of a mix, but... My dad and grandpa have always been Ford, New Holland. All right. We're going to have disagreement on that. Okay, <laughs> that's just fine. All right, you ready for some short answer? Ready. Here's, here's the deal. you got to answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. Don't think too long on it. This will be easy for you. Ready. Favorite smell? Smell? Pizza. Best Minnesota food? Oh, tater tot hot dish. Right on. Would you rather hunt deer or bear? Bear. Favorite basketball player? Ooh, Kevin Garnett. Are you a cat person or a dog person? Definitely dog. Most random thing you've Googled in the last week? I use Bing, um, DuckDuckGo. I don't use Google. Okay, most random thing that you've <laughs> searched on the internet in the last week. <laughs> hmm. That's a tough one. I'd have to look at my search history. I don't know. Well, okay. All right, what's the best part of farming for you? Best part of farming? Just the family. I'd say the family yeah. working together. Sometimes it's stressful, though, but family. All right. So I asked you, would you rather hunt deer or bear? You bow hunt. I do. So explain to me what bow hunting bear is like, because if you make one of those things angry, it's a bad day for you. Yeah, it is. So you got to shoot them right? Yeah, you got to train. You got to... Go to the range and be sure of your shot. How many how many bear have you harvested with a bow? With bow, only one. Um, the last couple of years I've been busy, so I haven't been out hunting. Yeah. But uh, I've got quite a few with rifle, and I was like, this this is too easy. So you have to put some excitement into it. I guess. Why not just tie the rope and hold on? Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> um, You've been in the guard for how many years now? Nine? Going on nine. Going on nine years. What's your goal for the future in the guard? 
the air guard. Air guard. Okay. Um, stay, uh, stay in for 20. Um, get to get to that retirement. Yeah. And then uh, just keep uh, being a member of the team. Um, I usually tell people the guard is awesome, especially in Minnesota. It's like a family. Um, kind of like my rodeo side too. It's like a tight knit family once you get in and everybody has each other's back. So my goal is to uh, keep being one of those old time influ influencers yep. eventually. Eventually you either turn into the crazy Uncle Lou or right. the, uh, the old dad. Yeah. Which one are you going to be? <laughs> Crazy uncle. I was gonna say, there's Definitely. not a lot, not a lot of sane in the bull riding community, is there? No. <laughs> Somebody told me once, you know how you know when you're a true bull rider, you start with a mouthful of marbles, and once you don't have any marbles left in your mouth, you're a true bull rider. Wow, that's pretty profound. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me what that exactly means. Because you lost your marbles, that's why you ride bulls. Yeah, that makes good sense. <laughs> makes good sense to me. All right, I've been talking with Brian Shuey uh, from the Contingency Response Force, professional bull rider. By the way, how many belt buckles do you have? Uh, a handful. Actually, right now I am the 2022 Professional Armed Forces World Champion bull rider. Congratulations so I'll have to, on uh, that defend my title this year down in New Mexico in November. November in Mexi New Mexico. Clovis, New Mexico. And you are uh, representing the Air National Guard or the Air Force. Does each branch of service have their own rider or do you get? It, any military member or former military member can compete. Awesome. Um, so yeah, actually the second place guy last year, he was a former Air Force guy as well. All right. So yeah, it just goes off of the overall branch. So we can't quite call you world champion bull rider, but you are the world champion of the United States military second place bull rider. First place. First place. Right on. First place. We have a champion in our midst, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you, Brian, for joining me on Beneath the Wing. Thanks, Chief. Absolutely. I'd like to also thank Jared Smith for his pre-production research and Amy Lovegren for her post work. Hope you join me next time on Beneath the Wing with another great story of one of the great people connected to our wing.